Welcome to the Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can share it. Please tell everybody about it. Erin um, Dugan is off today. She is going to have a story for you when she comes back next week. I'll just leave it at that. Um, she is doing fine. She is okay. There is nothing to be worried about. But if you want to send her some tweets at the Aaron Dugan, uh, please do that. And uh, she'll be back next week, but she's got a, a pretty good story to tell in place of Aaron Dugan, uh, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, a man who's been a part of many bowl championships, Mitch Light from The Athletic on the Football and Grits podcast about the SEC from The Athletic as well. A guy I've used to work with for a very, very long time at Athlon Sports. Mitch, how are you, sir? It's great to see you. Braden, good to be here. Glad to be filling in for Aaron. When I met Aaron, uh, when she was a student at Vanderbilt and she interned at Athlon, if you would have told me that, at, you know, in, in eight years, I'd be pinch hitting for her on an SEC <laughs> podcast with you filming in your house in East Nashville, I'd say, yeah, that makes about that makes sense. Oh, did I give away too much at East Nashville? No. Are people are your fans no. going to come track you down now? I, I the, the one will not know. Okay, it's, it's not East Nashville's happen. a big place. You won't it, it find is. them. It is a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on over in East Nashville. Um, no, it's great to have you here, man. And look, we'll, we're going to talk about whatever the hell's going on with Dan Mullen in Florida. Um, we'll have a conversation sort of about CEO coaches. I love talking coaches with you, Mitch. It's something that you and I have done for many, many years together. And so we're going to get to that a little bit later on uh, in the program. We will talk about the national championship game. Because that's going to happen, so we're going to preview that. Hopefully, hopefully it will yeah. happen on Monday night. Ho- hopefully, um, so we will sort of operate under the assumption that it is, and and talk through the matchup in the game. Um, we'll also, I guess, there's some analysis that needs to be offered about Alabama's win over Notre Dame. So we'll get to that. But we did have a Heisman announcement on Tuesday evening. Uh, Alabama's Devontae Smith, 447 first place votes, about 1,800 points or so, wins the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Trevor Lawrence finished second. Mac Jones finished third. Kyle Trask fourth. Najee Harris fifth. I will go through the unveiling of my ballot in just a second. But um, my first observation, Mitch, before I ask you who you would have voted for and what you think of Devontae sort of winning it, it's just as I was watching the ceremony, I know it drags on and I know it's something that people complain about normally during that television show, but I felt really bad for Devonte Smith and his family and friends because normally that ceremony is, is a really incredibly emotional scene with all the former winners on stage together in this really exclusive fraternity with coaches and friends and family hugging and crying and I just felt really bad for Devontae and his family for, for having COVID stolen that from him to some degree. I don't know why that was the first thing I thought of, but I just saw him by himself on stage with Nick Saban and just going like, oh, that I kind of felt bad for that situation, honestly. Yeah, I mean, a great moment that could have been greater. And it's the same thing with everything that COVID's affected, the high school seniors who didn't have their graduation and, and senior day athletes who, you know, weren't walked out with their parents in front of, you know, 90,000 people. Um, a lot of this thing sucks and, you know, a great moment for Devonte Smith, but sure it, it could have been that much more memorable. So, um, but, uh, you know, I understand your point feeling, you know, it's just, it kind of, it is, I hate yeah. this phrase, but it is what it is. <laughs> and it just sucks for him. Do, do you see like, I guess I watched it. Maybe I just watched the show sort of as a kid still. Like I love seeing all the winners up on stage and then seeing like Joe Burrow crying and looking at Coach O and his family and his story. And like, I, I don't know. It just, it, there's something, maybe I'm still too naive to even, <laughs> to even acknowledge. It was also weird know. that it was on a Tuesday night in January. It wasn't a Saturday night after the, I guess sometimes it's after the army Navy game or sometimes it's a week later. I forget. Um, but it was, it was just, it was weird. It was different. Yeah. Okay. As long as I'm not the only one who thought the whole thing was, was super weird. It doesn't take away from the fact that Devontae Smith was totally deserving and completely uh, acceptable as a, as a champion. Um, again, we'll get to my ballot in a second and what you would vote for. Um, this is a guy, he's the first wide receiver since Desmond Howard in 1991, only the fourth wide receiver to ever win the award. Um, you know, I, he's an exceptional talent. And I think I, I liked what he said when he said, look, just all you, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he kind of gave a message to sort of the young undersized kids out there to just keep grinding, keep working. And, and you can accomplish what, what you want if you work hard enough. And I, I thought that was, again, one of those things that we don't get to see much from college athletes because we don't get to see college athletes talk very often, but I, I thought, you know, really good message from him and, and totally deserving winner of the, of the award. Well, well, 
let's look at the top five, six vote getters. You've got Trevor Lawrence, who was a five-star number one quarterback. You've got Najee Harris, who was a, I think the number one running back in his class, but you've got Smith who was like, he's undersized, all that stuff. You got Mac Jones, who was a four-star quarterback, but was going to Kentucky far from a sure thing. You got Kyle Trask, who's everyone knows his story, career backup, high school, college, Brees Hall, Iowa State. So if any year, this is a lesson that you don't need to be that, you know, five-star top player in your class. Again, they're, they're some of those guys, Trevor Lawrence, Najee Harris, Justin Fields was seven. Um, Kyle, Kyle Pitts, a tight end is 10th. So it just kind of, we all know recruiting rankings are important. We all know talent, 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 but a lot of it's what you do when you go to college and you get in a program and what your situation is and what you make out of it. Well, and if all you need to know about how good of a crop and how worthy of a crop all of these guys are, because again, I, I, when I filled out my ballot, like I had one guy at one and then I changed it and then I had a second guy at one and then I changed it and I had a third guy at one and then I changed that. And to, to hear you say Justin Fields finished seventh, the guy who just put on the biggest performance of the entire season in a college football playoff game is sort of all you need to know about how deserving all of these guys are. Like the top five to me, just all of them, if you, you could have given them the award and I would have been, that's, that's totally fine. I'm totally fine with that. Totally. And I think I, did, I don't have a, a vote. And you asked me to rank mine. So I, I participated in the athletics weekly vote. Um, and I, th I think I, you know, I would shuffle it every week and try not to be, you know, it's hard not to be too reactive, trying to look at the whole big picture. But Kyle Trask is maybe the most, well, Fields is the most interesting because clearly a great player, although he didn't play great for a couple of weeks down the stretch. He only played seven games. So I, I get it. He should, I don't think he should be in anyone's top three. Um, Trask to me is the interesting one because the last taste in everyone's mouth is the bowl game. Unique situation there, opt-outs. He didn't play well that game, but he was phenomenal all season long. So that 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 bowl game should not take away from his season. And, you know, Lawrence missed a couple games, but was great. Mac Jones, you know, phenomenal. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would have voted Devontae Smith. That's who I voted in my, uh, in my athletic ballot. I think just watching the games, he just jumps off the page and just so dynamic and special teams. I have a theory that I've never really – I just thought about it today. Could just totally tell me if I'm full of it or it doesn't make sense. But and you, you mentioned the wide receivers. It's just the first one since Desmond Howard. Of all the skill positions, is wide receiver the one that is kind of least dependent on the other players? Like you make like quarterbacks, you need that great offensive line. You need wide receivers to get open. Running backs. You need the offensive line. Like wide receivers to me, it's more just, sure, you need a good quarterback, but it's you're beating the dude who's trying to cover you or you're trying to find that hole in the zone. So, like, I think it's wide receivers can really stand out because it's just them in that they are less dependent on the rest of their team than the other skill position players. Any, any, you buying that at all? I, I see where I think you're going. And I think if you were in man to man coverage for the entire season, let's say and you were just matched up 1v1 for the entire year, and you were just torching dudes, like, every single week. But what about they're double-teaming him, too? They're also double-teaming him, so true. he's getting open, you know. I, I mean, but that's all about you. I agree. Yeah. I, I think the problem with that theory is that you are exclusively dependent to get to get the football <laughs> like but if you that, get wide if you get so wide open it makes your quarterback job so much easier now and some of that here, scheme some of that's a lot of that yeah. scheme and also the running game like again and we're gonna have this debate here in a second trust me right a, a it all works up, together no doubt yeah like a great running game dropping an extra guy in the box is how you get open right like that's how you 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 get a wide receiver open i uh, uh, but i think i know what you're saying is that how many, and, and to steal a sort of a soccer phrase, right? Like when you're in the open field with the ball at your feet and you're going 1v1 towards the goal, right? Like that's a, a soccer phrase. And I, I think that happens more in football at the wide receiver position than maybe anywhere else. I, you know, once a running back gets into space and has a 1v1 matchup with a linebacker or a safety or whatever, that's when he can kind of do what he needs to do. Uh, but but so I think that part of your argument, I think I understand. The, the, the issue is, is that, you know, like you said, it all works together. I, you have to have a like the quarterback wide receiver relationship is such a 50 50 thing, sort of like our relationship. Yeah, it's very much give yes. and take. 
Yes. Yes. I I don't exist without you. You don't exist without me. That's how this works. The the reason I thought of this was because, and I don't know, this probably isn't new, but it seems now with with schemes being so good and offenses being so much better in college football over the last five years, I am having a difficult time evaluating the merits of some of these quarterbacks because Kyle Trask and Mac Jones have dudes on the outside or at tight end that are always wide open. And it's easy to sit there and say, their job is their job's easy. Like I will steal a line from my colleague, David Ubbin, who tweeted during the Tennessee Alabama game, Mac Jones looks indecisive at quarterback about which wide open wide receiver to throw it to. Like, so, yeah. you know, if you play in a great offense as a quarterback and I'm not saying anyone can do it, but your job is easier than it was 10, 15 years ago. The wide receiver is the guy that needs to get open. I know we depended on the scheme and the running game. So maybe, you know, it's just, just a theory. I, I, I see where you're going with that. I would argue, I think there's a significant difference between Kyle Trask and Mac Jones in this conversation. Like, for example, and we can, I, I don't know who would be two and three on your ballot before we, we get into I think Mac my, Jones my had better skill. Is that what you're saying around him? Well, well just well, better team. Who, who, well, that's what I'm saying. Like Kyle Pitts was not open. Kyle Pitts made like Kyle Trask would throw the ball to a very small window and Kyle Pitts would go up and make an exceptional catch in that very small window. The scheme with Dan Mullen is brilliant. And, but I think, you you know, the argument for Kyle Trask over Mac Jones, not only are the numbers superior, I mean, outside of a couple of, of, of efficiency metrics, Kyle Trask's touchdowns and yardage and, and production was, was off the charts. It was the best in the country, but he also did it without any running game, without an offensive line and without a defense where Mac Jones had all of those things. And, and so that's where I, you know, I didn't even consider Mac Jones. Mac, Mac Jones was not even a, a, a thought in my mind for top three. I was actually a little surprised that he finished number three. Um, but it, it's, and, and to your... By the um, way, I agree with everything you said about Trask. Right there. Well, and yeah. you mentioned something earlier, like the, the, our last taste in our mouths that like we all, obviously we all voted before Trevor Lawrence played like, you know, got too much pressure in the, in the playoff game. We voted before Justin Fields went off. We voted before... Kyle Trask, um, you know, after he almost beat Alabama, but before he played terribly in the bowl game. So you have to sort of understand where the line of voting was too. It was, I wish we could have voted on the playoff games. I, I would have taken a guy off my ballot, frankly, um, if we could have voted on the, on the playoff game and, and added a different player. Um, but we'll get, we'll get to that in, in just a second. So who, who would, who would your t- two and three have been on your ballot? Um, I, I did vote. The last vote, I'd have to look it up. Uh, I should have done so, but I think I had Smith, Trask, Jones as my final three, but struggled. You know, Trevor Lawrence, maybe the best player in college football, missed a couple games. Najee Harris is is phenomenal, you know, so I think that was my final three. But I was with you all season on Trask. I had Trask number one before every – it seemed like the college football world had that epiphany about halfway through the season, be like, wait, Devontae Smith, he should win the Heisman. Like, it's like at the same time, everyone kind of realized that this, this dude's pretty damn good and, and he's not just a, another one of these pieces yeah. in Alabama. He is the best piece at Alabama. And I do think there's a couple of things that was, that was tough to remove. For Trevor Lawrence, it's tough to remove the fact that we know that he's the best player in college football and that he's going to be the number one pick. It's tough to remove that, but you kind of have to. Same You're not thing with surprised by anything he does. His expect your expectations for him are to be perfect. Right, exactly. Just the flaw of the way we do this now. Yeah, human human brains. Um, I, I will say with Smith though, he's also the most productive receiver in SEC history, and you can't you can't include that in this conversation either. That that has to be sort of the fact that he broke Chris Doring's record has to be put aside because that's not a part of the evaluation. Even though, again, just like with Lawrence, it's hard to remove that from who he is as a player. Like we know how good he is as a player because of that. Um, all right. So do you want to guess who I voted for? Uh, Jared Gantano. Oh, Jesus. I like you. I like you had Trask number one on my ballot for most of the year. If they don't, if he doesn't throw a couple of major mistake, you know, passes in the LSU game and they one, one, which was a weird deflection, but still it's true. And if they don't choke sort of in that moment, um, I, I think the most productive quarterback with the least supporting cast around him who accomplished the most. Right. Like he won his division, almost beat Alabama, posted the best numbers and did it with less around him. That to me is the argument for Trask over Jones or even Lawrence for that matter. So I had I had Trask number one until the LSU game. I, I struggled at my you know, my, my first vote was 
I had Trevor Lawrence in there at number one. And then I was like, cause I couldn't fit. I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide who it was. So I was going, all right, best player in the country. Who's also, by the way, his numbers are also exceptional. Who didn't lose a single game, right? Like let, let's, the argument for Trevor Lawrence is pretty good too. Then I, I said, you know what? I don't feel right about that. It doesn't look right. So I took Trevor Lawrence out and I put Kyle Trask in there. Okay. The LSU game just sticks in my mind. Okay. I'm going to take Trask out. I put Devonte Smith in there. And then I, that's when I sat down and I, I said, all right, I don't think Devonte Smith is the most important piece of the Alabama offense. And that is my argument for who I voted for. So who do you think I voted for? Not most valuable player, by the way. It's the, it's the most outstanding. If it's the most outstanding thing, then it belongs to the Alabama offensive line. But you can't you can't vote for a, a position group. So, um, did you go? I mean, I still say you voted for Devonte Smith. Or did you I, just tell me you didn't? I right voted. There? I voted for Najee Harris, number one. I think he is the most important piece and the best piece of the Alabama offense, and everything else runs off of him. And he touched the ball 265 times. He had more yards than Smith. He caught a bunch of passes. He was used in the receiving game. 27 touchdowns in 11 SEC games is extraordinary and came up huge in big games. I, I just thought, again, all this can be tied back to the Alabama offensive line. I get that. But I just think at 6'2", 230, what he, what he does to defensive coordinators is I, I just thought I, I struggled, man. I looked at both of them and I said, who do I think's the the piece – that drives the engine. And, and I thought it was Najee Harris that drives the engine. And I was one of 16. <laughs> yeah. One I'm, of 16. Looking, I'm, I'm looking I'm, at there's right only now. 16 of us. <laughs> you know, I, it, we, we both, I think like to prove each other wrong or tell each other. So I'm, I was trying to th think of a reason to tell you why, you know, that's a stupid argument. It's not, it's not because to, to what we've been talking about, there are so many worthy candidates and the fact that I consider us both rational thinkers, and you voted a guy number one who was not in my top three or four that it, but but again you can make a good point that's why this the Alabama offense was so freaking awesome this year <laughs> that you know you there's there's three worthy candidates now, I, I get the Mac Jones I get your anti-Mac Jones I still think he's a worthy candidate but uh yeah it's it was an interesting it was a unique year for a lot of reasons adding the fact that two of the best players missed time, missed, didn't really, I'd say Justin Fields almost didn't even qualify. I know some people right, voted right. for him just because of COVID. And then Trevor Lawrence, it wasn't an injury. It was COVID. He missed their biggest regular season game. So you had two of the best quarterbacks we've seen in the past five years, really not. Yeah, and again, Lawrence finished second, but he, you know, he, he missed two games. So uh, it's a fascinating discussion. Some years, the Heisman's fun to talk about some years. It's yeah, an yeah. overwhelming winner and it's just, yeah. there's really nothing to debate. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I Kyle Trask it too. Um, and, and then again, I, again, I don't have any issue with any of these guys. Like if, if, yeah. you know, Mac Jones is the one that I think if I was going to say, I just don't like, he, he's a, he's almost undervalued. Like his efficiency numbers are off the charts, you know, but like, he's just, to me, he's more of a product of the system than anything, but that's all. That's so, that's such an insult. And I don't mean to be, like, that's not really what I meant. I, I just think if I'm a defensive coordinator and I've got to sit down, if I'm, if I'm Kerry Combs and I'm the Ohio State defense getting ready for this game as we sort of can transition into talking about that game, the, the thing I am, the, like, we all know you got to worry about Smith on the outside, and, but you can, you can double him and then Najee Harris kills you inside. So I, I, if you cannot, I've always believed this, and you tell me if I'm wrong here. If you cannot stop the run in a championship setting, you have no hope. You can allow a big play here or there, but if you cannot stop a guy who's going to get the ball 25 times, you have no prayer of beating Alabama. And so I just, to me, that's how I kind of ended a really tough debate was if you just let Najee Harris run all over you and you stop Devontae Smith, you will, you'll get crushed. And, and that's sort of how I, how I figured it out. Yeah. I think this Alabama team is so talented. Like you talk to defensive coordinators the goal is to make an offense one dimensional, but you, you, I, mean, I don't, I literally don't think you can do that against Alabama, like Northwestern against Ohio state. They decided that they weren't going to let Justin Fields beat them down the field. Ryan day kept trying to do that at first and then realized that Trace Thurman was averaging 12 yards of carry. <laughs> and you go into that game. If you're Northwestern and you're, you're Mike Hankwitz, you haven't seen that from the Ohio state running backs. So you, you go in thinking, 
I want to take away the pass and make their running backs beat me. Well, the running back, Trey Sermon, did beat them in that game. That's a sound way to go about it. But I think that's impossible against Alabama. I, I like LSU was in the same thing. But these are the two, I think, the two most balanced offenses that I remember in college football. Like, I think Alabama's probably even more balanced because Harris is better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who, who was great last year. So, like, I'm sitting here saying that I think they're impossible to stop. You need to get lucky. like Because they I, are. <laughs> yeah, I, I point – talking about the, the, the college football playoff, I kept – might be a weird argument, but I, I kept bringing up the LSU-Florida game. Going into that game, Florida was – you know, had the advantage all over the place. LSU needed to get lucky. And they did. They made plays. They had a weird ball bounce in the sideline. They made a fourth down stop at the goal line. That's not luck, but that's a break going their way. I think sometimes in sports, we don't factor in luck. Like what happens if a ball's tipped at the line of scrimmage and Ohio State runs it back for 90 yards for a pick six? That turns the game. I think that's what you have to get lucky slash make huge plays to beat Alabama or to slow down their offense. I, I totally agree, and it's also what makes, I think, this game super interesting. I think Ohio State's going to play very, very well. I, I think the offensive line is second only to Alabama's offensive line, and their running game is second only to Alabama's. Trey Sermon has, I think, almost 600 yards from scrimmage in the last two games. That's insanity, uh, and, and that doesn't include arguably the most dynamic or second most dynamic quarterback in all of college football. I think Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are the only two things that Nick Saban is concerned about. And now he's got to deal with Justin Fields. Their receiving core is not that much worse than Alabama's Olave and Wilson are great. The running back tight ends caught three touchdown passes in the the, uh, semifinal. The the running backs with Sermon and Teague, not not much, not much worse than Harrison and um, uh, Robinson. And so like, you know, the quarterback, I would argue, is better for Ohio State. So so you can – there's a great offensive matchup. I think the questions for Ohio State are if you get a lead and you're in that situation 41-38, I think it's going to be high scoring, Who, which defense gets the stop, right? Like, to me, to me, that's the question. It's going to feel a lot, I think, like Alabama-Florida in the SEC championship game, and it's going to be who, he who has the ball last. There's going to be some dicey moments for Alabama – but I just don't think that when push comes to shove, if you've got to stop Mac Jones and Smith and Harris on, on a single drive to get off the field to win the national championship, I don't know if Ohio State can do that. Yeah, and, and this goes back to, like, football is, you know, one missed block can change a game. I mean, Ohio State's very good in the interior of the defensive line. They're not as good in the, you know, they don't, everyone knows they don't have that Chase Young, the Boses. The, the, their strength is in the interior. What happens on one play if there's a slight miscommunication and uh, Haskell Garrett gets up into, and gets in J- Mac Jones' face a second earlier and forces a bad throw? That's how you beat Alabama. Just one little mistake by someone or one great play by a defensive lineman can change a game. Uh, I th- now, see, Ohio State's one of the few teams that only needs a few things to go their way. Like Notre Dame needed that, that's 10 the of key. those. That's the they key. needed five or seven of those plays to go their way. Ohio State can beat Alabama, in my opinion – with a few of those plays, they, they, they're good enough to beat Alabama almost straight up. Now, will they do it? I don't know. I, I think that's the point is you have to be good enough to match them on offense and then get the, and have the one lucky bounce be the reason that you win the game. I think that's a great way to put it. Like you need the one bounce now, according to most reports and, and just sort of the things that are out there is that this, this COVID problem is with the defensive line for Ohio state. And so that, that is um, if that is in fact, the position group that gets affected by this, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday, you know, who knows what we're going to know over the weekend, what happens with the game. I I mean, I don't, (laughs) it just, it just added to the list of things we've never had to try to understand as college football media people. But um, I don't know if the, if, you know, I would, if I was an Alabama fan, I would prefer to play the game knowing Ohio state was full strength. If I was an Alabama fan, I would, I would say, you know what, push it back a couple of days. You know, again, I know we can't spend you got the best team, you know, you, you, you're not scared of anybody if you're Alabama. Right. So I, I just wouldn't want to win. I wouldn't want to give the the other fan base a bunch of excuses. You know what I mean? Like if, if they play without a bunch of players on, on a certain position and all of a sudden they, they lose the game, that's going to be the talking point the rest of their lives. And I just don't want to hear that crap. From, from yeah, people. If, if Ohio state is down one or two of their starting defensive tackles, I mean, the point spread should go from seven to 14 in, yeah, I, in a second. I, I totally agree on that. So what? how do we see it playing out? We'll get to Dan Mullen 
and um, we'll get to some other stuff here. But just I, to me, it's it's high scoring. It's he who has the ball last, and I, I see Alabama with the ability to get a critical stop and or make the big drive. I, I just that's how I see it. I got Bama winning. I got Ohio State covering the spread. So give me Ohio State in the points. Alabama outright on the money line. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, if you ask me a score, 42-35-ish, I would spread seven. So 42-38, 30, you know, I, I think it's going to be high scoring. Um, special, both both teams have good kickers. I mean, we Alabama, it's you can't make fun of their kickers anymore. Dudes hasn't missed a kick this year. Ohio State has an All-American caliber kicker. Uh, Drew Chrisman, their punter is very good. Well, you know, will Devonte Smith make a play in the in the return game? I mean, that that that's that's an X factor too. There in this game, when it's so difficult to get stops, you cannot give up a special teams touchdown. Although you could argue, just give it to him anyway because they're you know they're going to go down the field right. just get, get, <laughs> get the ball back for your offense. But uh, I am, Notre Dame tried that a couple times. They were like, no, we're yeah. going to do like three play drive and and we'll see if we can yeah grind it out. I I am you know needless to say look I look forward to any playoff game. Um, but this one just just. The, the name brands and the caliber of offense, it's going to be fun. Hopefully it's going to be fun. Yeah. These two, these two have never played for the national championship in the national championship game. So that, you know, North versus South big 10 sec. Um, there's a new coach in the national championship game now, which we don't have too many of, but to get Ryan day in there. And, and for all the talk of, Oh, same old, same old. We've, we've now had coach O and Ryan day make their debut in national championship games in back-to-back years. And so that's, that's good to get some fresh blood in there. And, and I, I do think we, we can probably – Ohio State's very, very, very good. They're very worthy. They're very deserving, and they could win this game, and I think they're going to play really well. Uh, you know, we just got done talking about arguably the best Heisman offense of all time, though. 1946 Army, the last time a team had three players finish in the top five in the Heisman voting. Alabama did that. At some point, we might be overthinking this. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Alabama. It, it could be 21-3 Alabama in early second quarter, and we're like – you know, what, what were we thinking? But uh, we it's because we've seen Al- – we, the most recent time we saw Ohio State, it was at their best. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the two or three games before that, they, they weren't at their best. And when Justin Fields was made uncomfortable earlier and getting rid of the ball – I mean, not getting rid of the ball, and, you know, he, he has not been perfect this year. And that's – you know, they, they need, obviously, him to be perfect. And how healthy is he? We don't know. Whatever he got at halftime, I want some of that um every day just give me one of those when i wake up in the morning whatever shot he got in in halftime uh steve sarkeesian taking the texas job does this have an impact the last time alabama changed coordinators in between semifinal and championship game i know a lot of fans want to point to that and say oh look how it worked out for bama but you know i think it was jalen hurts who led them down the field and they had the lead on clemson late in that game with sarkeesian calling the shots it was Deshaun Watson that came back down the field and won the game on that, on that drive. So, you know, I don't, is that overplaying a, a storyline? Is it important? How, how is his, how is his mind not distracted by being the Texas head coach? I, I don't know. I, it, I don't think it's a big factor in this. It's, it's so such a compressed period of time. There's only, I, you know, it's one week later he's there calling plays. I, think he is very focused on this i mean I, he's a professional he gets it in texas you know one thing the recruiting's done in texas sure there's many things to do you got to do a staff and there's the february but the, the early signing class is, is secured i on my list of things that if i'm alabama to worry about this is this is not really that high on the list the last offensive coordinator to leave during a playoff run and take the head coaching job at i guess it wasn't at texas i guess it was a houston uh, was Tom Herman, and they won the national title, I believe, in in 2014. So, um, I, I listen. I got Bama. You got Bama. I don't. I think we can overthink this. So, uh, let's move on to Dan Mullen and what's going on in Gainesville and what's happening in Florida. There's there's certainly some some rumblings about his, you know the NFL being interested in Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen being interested in the NFL. That's sort of and you taught me this, Mitch, at, at a very young age. You never know what makes a guy tick is a phrase that you've always used. And so that's sort of just between Dan Mullen and his his own dreams, you know, like what does he decide he wants in life? And if he wants to coach and win a Lombardi trophy, you can't do that at Florida. If he wants to stay in in college and win a national championship, you have to stay at at Florida. There's few places that are better than Florida. That part of it, I don't really find interesting from like a discussion standpoint, because we can't really get into his head and, and figure out what he wants in life. What I do find interesting is his relationship with the fans and with Florida and why it feels like it's so stressed right now. 
This is a guy who's won nothing but 10 games, won a division, developed a Heisman caliber quarterback out of a backup, and has been this way, sort of arrogant football coach guy, his entire career at Mississippi State. I, I just don't – I don't really understand why Florida is now having this sort of like, well, this is the guy we've got. Like, I, I don't, I'm not sure I understand what's really going on at Florida right now. I think – what seems like it should be, and maybe was for a while, a perfect marriage. Both sides are, they're still in love, but, you know, it's, they're annoying each other. You know what happens, you know, just <laughs> not making the bed in the morning, leaving the coffee cup in the wrong spot that just <laughs> pisses someone off. Not saying anything here. Love you, Heather. Um, so, um, like, Mullen says some things that, maybe tone deaf, whatever the right word is that, that just, you know, rub some people the wrong way. And when they're winning, he's our coach. You tell him coach when you've lost to LSU and you, you get blown out in the bowl game, it gets a little annoying to the fan base. Um, he doesn't recruit like Alabama and Ohio state recruit. Uh, we're Florida. And then you turn it around Dan Mullen who thinks he's the best coach in the world as most coaches do, but you know, Dan Mullen, he's, confident in his own abilities he's like we were a couple plays away from maybe beating Alabama the, like one of the greatest teams ever and all I hear about is you're not recruiting well enough you're not doing this now they had I think their class dropped for some reason but as of early signing period they had the number eight class in the country which pretty is damn, pretty good yeah pretty damn good all he's hearing I, f I cover a lot of Florida writer I mean I, I work with a Florida writer I cover I, I follow a lot of Florida me media so I see what they what fans say to them it's like they're recruiting. You would think that they were recruiting at a top 25 level, not a top 10 level. Um, so Mullen's like, like the points you made, like we, we were I developed this quarterback. We had this great offense. We don't, our offensive line's not great. We don't have these great running backs yet. Our offense is great. So uh, kind of a long winded answer saying, I think both people like Florida knows that he is a great coach and Dan Mullen knows he has a great job, but it's just this, this a little bit of a disconnect growing. So I, I think there is, truth to the rumors or the, the talk that he's interested in the NFL I think I don't know it's for a fact but just gather that he's not in love with the the opt-outs at the bowl game that put his program in a, in a situation where they got blown out and who cares you know, not to make not to make excuses but that was not a good look for the University of Florida and yeah there's a reason Oklahoma's games that they've only won that that matter are, are bowl games like they haven't, yeah, won a, so, they haven't won a meaningful championship game in 20 years for a reason. So, so my, my, my answer to my, I guess I'd say, will Dan Mullen be the coach at Florida next year? I think, yes, he will, but I wouldn't be surprised if like in an hour and a half, we see on Twitter that San Diego, San Diego, that would be really weird if the San Diego chargers hired yes. the LA chargers hired Dan Mullen or the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, that, that wouldn't shock me. And the thing about these coaches too, is we, we will go into this later. Like there are so few quote unquote, sure things in coaching now it's harder than ever to hire a big name coach that a guy like Mullen who's been successful everywhere, he can go to the NFL and know that if it doesn't work out, there will be a top five job opening up within a year or two of that, that he could, whether it's a Texas, a Florida again, Knoxville. Yeah. Or, you know, you know there, there are jobs. It's a, it's a bet. It's better to be an elite coach than an elite program in the hiring game. That's right a good now. point. No, that's a really good point. I, I agree. There's a there's not a lot of ton. There's not a lot of ton. There's yes. not a ton of great elite candidates that you can, like you said, sure thing candidates. And this is what I would like. I, I to continue on your couples therapy, you know, analogy here. Like they need a therapist to sit them both down and say, "What the hell are you two doing? You guys are perfect for each like, other. You guys are perfect yeah, for each other." Dan, Dan you're Mullen. annoying. We get it. Okay, <laughs> you know, but deal with it. Like you're a brilliant offensive mind, and you're obnoxious. And you tr like to troll people. You know who else is exactly like that? Steve freaking Spurrier. Like, it's just Florida. You're a little weird. You're a little crazy. But you win a whole lot of football games. Like, you guys are so meant for each other. It's absurd. And, and again, Dan, Dan Mullen, you can't be like, oh, Dan Mullen didn't know what it was going to be like under a pressure-packed SEC job. No, he was in the SEC for a decade. Like, he knows. And that program was winning at an even higher rate. So, right, like, so this is only year three, too. As well, so I, um, I, just, uh, yeah. I mean, listen. Now, listen, okay. does Clemson and because da Dabo says all the same stupid shit that Dan Mullen does? Just tinfoil hat, 
wearing conspiracy theory and you know all this nonsense right like oh let's fill up the swamp like Dabo does all the same stuff do they hate Dabo like Clemson fans don't hate Dabo because he lost he wins he's won two national championships though okay here that's that's, here's another conspiracy theory or whatever that Dan Mullen knows that you know, I, I don't know how good Emory Jones is going to be, but they lose a lot on offense. They lose a lot of starters from an average offensive line. Maybe he sees eight and four next year. I doubt it because he's Dan Mullen and he thinks he's going to be 10 and two or 11 and one, but they might, they probably will take a step back next year. And Georgia and Georgia is going to be very, very, Georgia is going to be. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they are. The, the, the planets are aligned in yeah. Athens next, next year. So that's a great um, way to put it. I, I, I hope Dan Mullen stays at Florida. Uh, you know, I enjoy watching his teams play. He's, I think he's good for the college game. I mean, he says some stupid things, but like he's, it's, it's fun. Gives, gives, gives something to talk about. Now, when he says some insensitive things about COVID and when people die, you know, that's one thing. But if he says dumb things that are just football, dumb things, like that's, you know, about his guy throwing the shoe, say it was a football move. Like that's, that's fun stuff. You know, that's, that, that gives us something to talk about. Yeah. I, again, I just don't like, it's, it's bizarre to me that both sides are sort of like, is this what we got into? Because I'm going like, no, Dan's been around the SEC for a long time, he, but he's also been at Florida. Florida's been around Dan Mullen. They know everyone knows each other here. Like, I don't I just don't understand why they're at this point. Now, again, if he lays his head down at night and goes to sleep and he dreams about the Lombardi trophy, then you got to go to the NFL. Like that's that's Pete Carroll. You know, like you got to go. Yeah. To the, you got to go to the next level. Same no tried one... it. Petrino tried it. Spurrier tried it. You know, yeah. And the thing, the great thing about Carroll is no one knew he'd, he'd been in the NFL and he seemed like such a great fit at USC. That was one of those where it just came out absolute nowhere. Well, that oh, yeah. The NCAA might have known. <laughs> yeah, leaving. yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, all right. I got a, a question for you um, about just sort of general because LSU's got a massive offseason this year with Coach O, the, the, the hiring they're going to make, the hires they're going to make as Joe Brady is now like interviewing for head coaching jobs in the NFL. Talk about a rocket ship. Meteoric rise. Yes. Um, So coach O's got some major decisions, obviously, you know, Sam Pittman is considered sort of a CEO coach who vastly overachieved expectations this year in his first year at Arkansas. Dabo Sweeney was a former wide receiver interim coach. You know, the the whole talking point about him sort of turning into that guy. Um, I, I think I'm curious what you think is, is coach O LSU 2019 just, as you just already said, the planets aligning for a team with elite talent and it comes together is Sam Pittman, you know, have longevity and staying power in that role. If he, you know, if he keeps Bryles and Odom, maybe like, is this, is this CEO strategy one that is going to begin to take over? Is it just a couple of one-offs because we're seeing Dabo and Clemson have success in LSU or is this a, 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 you know, Arkansas didn't have any other strategy to go to. They they sort of bungled the hiring process and ended up with Sam Pittman, and it and it worked out for him. Like, does that question make sense? Because I, I still well, want a guy who coaches ball. As yes, a head coach. I, I would. If I'm an AD, I don't. I would prefer to have a guy who, on one side of the ball, is someone I can lean on, or I know well they'll have that side coached up. I, what concerns me in, I think it's a great example at LSU and Clemson. What has made Clemson so successful? Continuity on their staff, coordinators. Now, Jeff Scott left after last year and is at South Florida. Coach O did not have that continuity. He built that dream staff and did not have that continuity. And what happened? They fell apart. My concern, if you have a Sam Pittman type, like you referenced him, CEO, I think a lot of their success, because Barry Odom's a damn good defensive coordinator and, and Kendall Bryles knows how to call plays. You can't. I would not want a head coach who is reliant on ha- always having great coordinators. That's kind of like, especially when it maybe it's different at Clemson because they're at the stage now where they just have elite talent every year. Arkansas is recruiting fine. They are never going to have better talent than three or four other programs in their division. And so um, I'm not saying, say, I don't know enough about Sam Pittman's offensive acumen that he can't sit there and, and, and dial up some, some ball plays as they say, but I would prefer to have a guy who is, and, you know, we're probably, again, we're probably doing a disservice to Coach O and uh, Dabo. These guys know football, but but your point is valid. Is that they're they not no, sitting there. They're not sitting there out. They've never called plays. Yeah, really. they're not drawing up a play in the dirt that, like, totally befuddles the opponent. Like, that's right. just not. Like, I've talked to former Clemson players that are like, yeah, yeah. Dabo doesn't draw plays, but he motivates the hell out of us, you know? Right. Um, and so, I, yeah, so CEO 
can work in the right situation. It's um, it helps to have the best players. And, you know, LSU last year had the best players and some really good coordinators. Yeah. Well, and let's look around at the SEC. Like Eli Drinkwitz is he's got a little bit of that rah-rah, but he's really just a good offensive mind. Lane Kiffin, yeah. Lane Kiffin is a, you know, a total troll, but like really good offensive mind. Um, Mark Stoops, just a really good defensive mind. Right. And has sort of learned how to build culture around him. Uh, you know, I, I don't, we'll, we'll learn about Shane Beamer and Clark Lee. We sort of have, those are two. Well, Shane Beamer is definitely the CEO type. I mean, right, he, exactly. He, Never called. He plays. was, right. he was, he was this tight ends coach and assistant head coach at Oklahoma. Now he's been a special teams coordinator. Um, but he's got the guy he's in this. I want to bring this up. Uh, I know we're just only going to touch briefly on the new coaches, but he, he's a guy that, you know, he, he's been with three programs, Virginia Tech, Georgia, Oklahoma, great head coaches, very different programs. Georgia's very, you know, Kirby Smart, Alabama model defense, defense, and just has great players. Oklahoma's the opposite, great players, but offensive minded. Uh, Virginia Tech was, I don't know, special teams special minded. Teams. <laughs> so, but how much do you Ray Tanner's an old coach, you know, co- baseball coach. The former players at South Carolina really, really wanted Shane Beamer. Shane Beamer let it, he, he cultivated relationships over the last few years with players and said, I want to be your head coach at South Carolina. I wonder how much that factored into to Tanner's decision, Tanner being a coach and just saying the players want him. He wants to be here. You know, it, it's just, that, that's the hire that, like the three programs they made hires kind of swim in different water, all three different waters. Like Auburn needs to, they need their, yep. they need their, their fans to get excited about the hire. They need the big name. Brian Harson's a big name or not. That's I, I, I think, Oh, I think he is. I think you yeah, okay. stole a guy that the PAC 12 has been after for a decade. And you know, you, stole right. you probably have to convince a, a lot of Auburn fans of that, but I, I agree where, where South Carolina has been, I say this all the time. They got spoiled. They, they they hired two of the best, most successful coaches the last 30 years in college football in Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, who happened to be available when they were looking for coaches. Now that's, but these two coaches also happened to, they needed to say yes. So it's not like they were desperate. Right. They just, they looked at that opportunity. Um, so South Carolina is, is a program that's, that's kind of uh, punched above its weight hiring, but is, is, is not a program that's going to, you know, steal an elite head coach. And, and then Vanderbilt was, I've said this many times, I, don't think I've been on the pot with you. I thought Vanderbilt was in a great situation because the the, the group of mid-major oh, tremendous. slash coordinators out there was great. I mean, if they would have hired uh, Todd Munkin, uh, Lance Leopold, Will Healy, I mean, you, uh, Sean Lewis at Kent State. I mean, again, the, the caveat, we, we have no idea how any of these hires work out. Jim Harbaugh hasn't won at Michigan. Scott Frost hasn't won at Nebraska. And as I always say, Derek Mason on paper was a better hire than James Franklin on paper. We know how that worked out. So yep. um, it, it, I just found it interesting that you had the three programs and kind of, like I said, that swim in different waters. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 we've said it many times on the show. I think it's a great year to hire. If you're Vanderbilt, if you're, I like if Iowa state was replacing Matt Campbell, I think it's a great year to be that, that yes. level of program hiring a coach. I don't think it was, I don't think firing Tom Herman for $23 million to hire a guy who was unemployable three years ago is is the right move. I think Auburn salvaged its coaching search, which I've said on this show many times. It started out with the inmates running the asylum and ended up with the professionals and the adults in the room hiring. Probably an the best thing that's happened to Auburn athletics is <laughs> right. the, way, the way it resolved. I mean, I don't, right. I've, I've read some, I haven't read a ton, but it just sounds like, the, like you said, the adults ended up winning out. So, so which brings us to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Cause I do think as I've tried to figure out what's going on with Tennessee, there's now high-priced lawyers involved in the investigation. You got Ty Chandler, the running back, opting out and transferring. You got multiple quarterbacks transferring away from Tennessee uh, as well. I, I just think that there are no adults in the room at Tennessee. That that it, or or they're all grown-up babies. I, I don't know which one it is, but there's no leadership. There's no culture, and the real issue is that there are too many millionaires who think they should be in charge of everything. And there are no adults like Auburn's boosters are a bunch of feral dogs on the yard and they threw them a bunch of red meat when they fired Gus Malzahn and they said, okay, here's your red meat. And then they slammed the door as it's being portrayed. Like you said, Mitch, they slammed the door and said, all right, now the adults and the humans and the professionals are inside the house, making the decisions while the dogs are outside chewing up the red meat. There is none of that. There's no line of demarcation in Knoxville. That that's my issue with Tennessee. Yeah, it's a situation, obviously, you know more about than I do, uh, but I follow it. And that's been the case for for a long time. And, um, you know, the thing is, I think there's only one name that's going to satisfy Tennessee fans. And 
I don't put this past them because weird things happen in the SEC. But you can't get rid of Jeremy Pruitt for cause for NCAA violations and turn around and hire, hire Hugh Freeze. I mean, you, you can't. And so who, who else? <laughs> yeah, well, who else? So somebody will try. <laughs> yeah, but who else is going to satisfy Tennessee fans? I mean, are they Billy Napier? Is that going to be like Tom Allen gonna, doesn't do it for you, Tennessee fans? <laughs> he should. I, I agree. Right, he should. So you know, and and oh by the way, and oh by the way, all of this because of your moral and ethical, selective moral and ethical high ground that got Greg Schiano ousted before he was even hired. Again, not saying that Greg Schiano was the right hire, but Rutgers won three games this year too. So yeah, <laughs> just I, I don't I, with like, far inferior talent than the teams. Yeah, that I don't. Uh, who knows? I, yeah, it's. Do you think they fired Jeremy Pruitt this year? I don't. Um, I have no insight. I've talked to a few people. I'm sure you've talked to a lot more than me. I I, I don't, um, but nothing would surprise me at all. Like I, I do, <laughs> I, 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 I will, uh, I'll give uh, a pitch here. Cause you know, I do the, uh, the football and grits podcast with uh, David Ubbin every Thursday, the athletics sec podcast and whenever we're planning it uh, to record, he's always with the caveat, like, yeah, I'm available unless Jeremy Perk gets fired, like then I can't record. So like, that's our standing <laughs> joke every week that, that he can't do it. If uh, you know, the head coach gets fired, he needs to figure out another time. So it's, it's funny. Cause it's true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you something. And I am, I am, Please. I know, I know, you know, this guy and I am, as optimistic oh, I know, I know where you're going with about this. this hire. And I called, I don't think I talked to you because we don't talk as much as we should, Brayton. But uh, I was talking to um, a couple friends right after Clark Lee was hired. And I said, watch out. Barton Simmons will be on his staff. I had no insight information other than that. I know that they grew up together. And I just know that Barton would be perfect for the job that they that Clark Lee hired him for. So I think that was a fantastic hire for Clark Lee. Yeah, this is uh, uh, it's very obvious why Barton was pushing so hard for Clark Lee <laughs> to, be, to, be, to be the head coach at Vanderbilt. Um, no, but I agree. I've, I've worked with Barton and I got started at Rivals.com together back in God. I don't you know, know, I like to I say, though, I gave his sports career a head start when he interviewed for a uh, fact checker position at Athlon and he turned nice. us down. Well, it was smart. He went to Rivals and yeah, yeah, yeah. now he's on a college football staff. That's what I tell you. I, said, I helped him. I helped him get going by not um, hiring. Him. Well, he he. So he played with. I think he played with Clark at, at NBA, which is a high school here in Nashville. So they have a very very he long played at Yale. Yeah, and he, a very smart football mind. And I think that's what separates him from a lot of sort of us football nerds in the media. Like this is a guy who who sort of played at a high level. Uh, it, you know, and and again, it's hard to be a college athlete in the Ivy League and not be sort of like a smart guy. <laughs> so yeah. he, he's very, very talented. I've known him for a very, very long time. And I don't, and here's the other thing that I, to me, there's sort of a broader conversation around the sec. And part of why I liked Will Healy as a candidate for many jobs is because he brought on a former media member who wrote college football stories for ESPN yeah. as for, as sort of this comms messaging um, analyst role, you know, social and media. confidant. Confident, yeah, just, like, dude, you're, 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 you sound like an idiot. Don't say that. You know, here's, exactly, here's the way we right. need to, here's the way we need to present this. I, I think more coaches, because again, Scott Satterfield had one of the worst press conferences I've ever seen in my life. Are you life applying for a job with Jeremy Pruitt? At Louisville. <laughs> no, I'd like, I'd like job security, man. Security. Um, your, your startup has more job security than yeah, uh, working for like, Jeremy Pruitt. I would go work for Lane Kiffin in two seconds. Yeah. But he doesn't have a problem with messaging. Right. <laughs> like he's yeah. just, he's just going to troll you to death until you, you start laughing at, at his lack of charisma, um, which is intentional, but some coaches need that. And I do think combining this sort of messaging communications, media training and understanding and expertise with some football acumen. And in Barton's case, it's way more than that. It is about right. scouting. It's about talent, recruiting. It's, it's about his Rolodex. You it, know. Yes. He knows every single high school coach in the country. So like, if you could, he, that's what makes him a really, he brings a lot to the table and I think if you could find more of those guys who have a football background, who played football, who have a lot of contacts in the recruiting world, I think it is a savvy move by a, by a coach at a program that sort of needs to do different things and savvy things to try to win. And I would, if I'm other jobs, if I'm South Carolina, if I'm Missouri, if I'm Kentucky, if I'm these programs that are trying to kind of fight up, up the uphill battle in the SEC, I am looking at that hire and, and studying it pretty closely. And seeing how can we sort of find our version of that guy who, who, you know, whatever that may be, I, you know, yeah. JC Sher Sherbert didn't exactly play football, but. right? It, but we, we, we've, we've used this term several times. It was sort of a perfect storm for Clark Lee that, that, that he, 
he knew he was good friends with this with Barton. That Barton is from this town, you know, if it's from Nashville and is really good at you know all parts of the job that he needs to be good at, like bringing in right, just some right. random dude. You know, Barton's very well liked. I mean, that keeps being said. You know, some some recruiting people are kind of arrogant, like you know, but Barton, you never hear anyone say a, a bad word about Barton. But yeah, just another. Another interesting move in the football landscape. Right. We've seen some college. We've seen college basketball recruiting people, uh, you know, get hired away by NBA teams, and, and so it's just a, another interesting step in the marketplace. Yeah, there you have it. Anything else you want to throw out there? Are we good? I think we covered it all. I, um, we got. I think, can I, I? You know, I used to. Alabama. I used to hijack. I used to hijack our old uh, podcast with just random things, and you get mad. But so you can cut me off since it's your podcast. But you mentioned soccer. Can I out myself with a really funny soccer story? It won't take long. Sure. I'm going to. So, so, you know, Nashville uh, soccer club, you know, had a good run here and they, I'm not a soccer guy, I, but I'm, I'm a proud Nashville. And so it's like, okay, I was working one Sunday night at my desk and they were, they were playing Columbus right in the playoff game. So I turn it on. Like, okay. Second half. I see the team in yellow. I'm rooting oh, for the oh team no. in yellow oh, to no. score goals. Like, but I'm kind of working. So I've got it like if you, I, right now I'm working and my TV's off to my right. So there's, I think the team in yellow had a couple close chances. Gold. I was like, ah, darn. Gold. The team in gold. Gold. And then I realized, I think when it's in overtime <laughs> that I've been cheering for the wrong team. It's pretty funny. You know what? But you know it's me well funny. enough. I always say, I know what I don't know. Like I would never talk about soccer. Like as I, I know college football a little bit. That's about so what you, I know. So, so that's gonna, what I talk about. You're you're not going to break down Coach Smith's four three two one formation, and I'm more of a one two three four guy. But okay, sounds good. Yeah. I think that's I, I think, think that's the right, right amount. Yeah, of, I think it's yeah. the right amount of players. So uh, I am. Uh, that's pretty funny because Columbus is. They actually went on and won the whole thing. I think so. They were same um, damn color. How am I supposed to know? They are gold. They're they're less. Cl- there's it's there's theirs is more old school, more classic gold, and, and Nashville's is more of a hip, young, trendier gold. If that makes any sense. They're like an East Nashville gold. I don't know about that. Um, All right. A lot of soccer fans over here in this part of the city, though. All right, Mitch, thank you so much for filling in. Aaron Dugan will be back next week. Uh, Again, she'll have a great story for you, uh, hopefully, (laughs) when we come back and talk with her next week. She's okay. You can send her some messages on Twitter if you want, of course, at the Aaron Dugan. Mitch Light from The Athletic. You can hear him on Football and Grits podcast, SEC Every Day from The Athletic. Uh, You can catch him all over the place there at Mitch Light on Twitter, I believe, as well, right? Yes. Are Are you on TikTok yet? What's TikTok? Yeah, exactly. I know what TikTok is. Thank you no, all. I'm not on TikTok. They, my wife was trying to convince me to get on TikTok yesterday, and I was just like, I, I have no desire to do that. Um, no. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Enjoy the national championship game if and when it takes place. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Mitch Light for hanging out. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network.